0: Welcome uh, to another exciting and packed uh, episode of Pod of the Gaps, the podcast that tries to plug the gap between Christian faith and a lot of the issues going on in culture. We like to talk about the things that other people don't talk about, like the length of uh, Aaron Edwards' beard, for example. That would be one thing I don't think that's people are talking about. Of course, you folks listening to this at home, on the car, on a run, wherever you are, you don't get to see what I see, which is... Aaron's amazing beard. Is,
1: how many how many weeks of growth is that Ooh, now? It's, uh, it's from it's from when I first requested by my daughter in November. So, but I have had a trim once. So my wife trimmed it. I think I probably, probably have to yeah, learn how to yeah. trim it myself at some point. That's probably what proper bearded bearded gilded men do. And of course,
0: there is that there, there is that you know you always pour castrol GTX on it, can't you? Because there's that verse in the scriptures, aren't there, about the the oil running
1: down? Aaron's beard, Aaron's in beard. fact, yeah, it's about I, I am a, a walking expression of church unity. I hope. I mean, I'm sure that's how people think yeah, of me, anyway.
0: And um, and we were joking before we started we hit record that those of you who follow the podcast for a while will know we used to have three presenters. Then we we kind of lost one. At the minute we're down to two. But I did say to Aaron that that beard gets much longer. I think it will perhaps get its own postcode, <laughs> and um, and it become the third
1: member of the that's beard. right. I could send it to you, Andy, because I, I would like to see you with a beard because you you're very nicely clean shaven, and you know it, it would be it'd just be nice, a nice experiment. It's Can you experiment? I am going to ask your daughter to you know request one because it's hard to reject yeah, no, no. in such a request from one of yeah, your loved
0: you ones. You might do that as well. And um we also are, it's amazing the podcast is actually happening today because we had an interesting kind of kind of tech issue that we discovered that uh, even though we have both got quite fast internet connections, something's going wrong. I think what is happening I think I'm at the top of the country in the UK and Aaron's halfway down it. So I think the internet runs down here. <laughs> That's <laughs> what is, it is yeah me to you and then slower yeah that's right but we are actually using like multiple technologies now we're using you know all kinds of things
1: i, I just think, think it's all it's, i think it's the controlling the scottish government there's so many filters on what can go in and out of the you know when you cross that border um i think you know it's just not yeah, so are now
0: the only part of the uk where you still, right now at the time of recording have to um still have to wear uh, a face mask to do all kinds of things like go shopping go to church and everything else, despite the fact that our numbers look terrible for COVID to to the rest of the UK, so all of these really like, strict things that our, the crazy nationalists like to inflict on us, um, obviously isn't, isn't isn't working, but we have a very bizarre leader here who likes to do anything to be different.
1: That's right. Fortunately, Andy managed to lobby the Scottish government not having to wear a mask during podcasting. He was here in a long, comprehensive case he was able to argue. No mask required. I really am just in my, on my own in a room, and it can't. Covid can't be caught through Zoom, so fortunately, you won that case.
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, having now caused probably all kinds of offence and confusion and 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 and, and, and stuff, um, we were, like, probably ought to dive onto the topic we are going to talk about today. And um, we offer we like to we like to when we do part of the gaps, then we do these kind of sort of timeless topics, um, but also <laughs> I think that kind of, do topics that kind of plug
1: timeless in, and timely. Uh, we hope.
0: Timeless and time, timeless and timely. That sounds like a couple of dwarves in a fairy tale. Yeah, timeless and timely kind of thing. I <laughs> think Eve Lighton would write a story about two dwarves called timeless and <laughs> timely. But anyway, talking about timeless and timely. And while we're recording this, of course, the um, the war in uh, Ukraine is into what? Is it th- three weeks now? It's been mm. going. Yeah. On, I can remember where I was when it sort of started. I was I was in Vanessa staying with a friend. So I was doing speaking up there, and I came down groggily at sort of five in the morning because I. Couldn't sleep uh, I drank too much coffee night before and turn on the headline
1: to see what it just you mean you didn't did open happen. your bible first Andy
0: no well I made coffee first, oh, okay and then the mistake I sometimes make and it was a mistake that day it's funny I was talking to a friend this morning about you know as Christians there is real wisdom in opening a bible first absolutely before turning on the phone mm. and I fully confess that day I made a mistake mm. and uh, and of course we like discovered discover what had happened and I guess the first thing to say, Aaron, and I know I've had lots of conversations with people along this line, I think for many people, this is the first time they've lived through something this serious. I mean, there's been Mm -hmm. military stuff around. We've had, you know, for those of us like my age or older, we had the Baltic stuff going on before um, Kosovo and those kind of things. But actually, something potentially this serious happening in in Europe Mm -hmm. is new for a lot of people. And I think that's unsettled Mm -hmm. people, right? The kind of. Kind of novelty of this, I think many people thought we were living in an age where you know maybe wars happen to other people, mm. uh, and uh, not Europe because we're, we're peace loving and we've got NATO yeah. and the United Nations, and it's trident, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, I think that's right. That but but in some some would probably look at it the other way though and say, well, well Western's only thinking that because it kind of might affect them. So we've certainly there'll be other people who say, actually, no, <laughs> it's normally NATO who. Who are going in and and uh, you know doing stuff now? We would like to say with with better intentions than than Putin, um, but at least in Putin's mind and um and in many Russians who support the war, in their mind they they think they're doing what NATO's been doing in terms of liberation in yes. all yes. sorts of other places. And and of course you know has made NATO's made many mistakes. Or the US uh, in Iraq and all all the debates we've had about that. And there are people who've experienced you know devastation of war for a long time but for us we just watch it on sky news or whatever and we see it happen through statistics or narratives or or pundits and and podcasters even and it doesn't really affect us this one feels a little bit closer to home doesn't it because it's like it's an it's as though it's an attack on us in some way because of this sense of ukraine as a sort of nato would-be station
0: i think yeah i think it's there's a there's some of that, and it just occurred to me because I've got the kind of sense of humour that can find a bad pun anyway. Just suddenly, first time occurred to me if you disagree with the Russian president and the, and a, 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 you know the leader and the leadership and the position he's taking, I guess that's a case of you are you are disputing.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> well, it wouldn't be you know a part of the gaps without an Andy Banister pun, um, even in a time of war, you, you punning can, has to can, continue.
0: Send me, me a photograph of the, of, the, of, the, of the little receptacle in their local park for. Uh, placing a dog poo into and some and some wag had written poo tin on the uh, on the, See, on the which I thought that was I just
1: funny. think if if you you and like your fellow punsters um, if they just had you in the diplomacy situations none of this would have happened would it You'd have just Absolutely,
0: none of it would happen. You could have Absolutely.
1: won their hearts, stolen their hearts with puns.
0: Deployed puns, I think is. Uh, <laughs> right. I think.
1: But it's interesting, you
0: say that this is. I mean, we do, I was about to say this is off topic, but those of you, those of you listen to Pod of the Gaps will know. There isn't often a topic. We'll take a topic and then ramble around. The, I remember one of the things that, that absolutely amazed me when I did, was doing my PhD and looking at oral tradition, and particularly about the way that oral tradition, you know, was, was formed that influenced the the foundation and the and the writing of the, of the, of the Quran, the Islamic scripture. Mm. Um, being absolutely just amazed to discover that in the in the sort of time of history before Islam came to be. That uh, poetry was very big in the Arabian um, Peninsula, and that when the different Bedouin tribes would go to war with each other, there was an awful lot of fighting. Uh, they would each have their poets, and the first thing you would do is you would send your poets out, and they would insult <laughs> the other side. That was a big part of. Uh, and I just,
1: I just, just
0: love you know, something tickled me that as well as the cavalry and the archers and everything else. You'd have the poets. That is yeah, that is amazing. And um, you know, insult the other side in rhyming couplets. Wow.
1: Yeah. Um, this this is now. I can't find a way to to make this fit, but I was doing homeschooling, which we have an episode on, of course. That's that's like the only link I can think of. Yeah, yeah. The other day, I was I was reading about Archimedes uh, with my daughter about his war machines, and I didn't even know about this. So there was like a, I mean, I'm sure listeners are like, how did you not know about this before? But it was um, a famous Roman attack on Syracuse, where Archimedes, the great mathematician, was, and he'd he'd been deployed to create these like defense machines, which were like out of this world for the time. And, so, and I didn't even know this. So they were, like, my my son was, li- was on the other side of the room doing something else. And as soon as he heard, uh, he'd been listening the whole time. I didn't realize he was like, whoa, Archimedes is pretty good. Isn't he dad? And He said, yeah, you can come and join the older person's uh, lesson. Now it's fine. That's how homeschooling can work. But it was like literally some of these machines where he's like, there's, they had like a claw which comes over the wall and could pick up an entire Roman galleon and just like shake it around until all the mariners fell out. And I was like, amazing kind of like you, the use of geometry at a time before proper technology, we might say, modern technology. Incredible.
0: Is there anything yeah. I, 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 I didn't know that. The only thing I knew about him was he, you know, he invented the, he was, he was a big wine drink because he invented the Archimedean corkscrew, right?
1: Well, <laughs> <laughs> clearly, well clearly. I mean, must have done.
0: Okay. Yeah, sorry. That's what serious things with, 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 with Putin. Yeah. It's very interesting that uh, I've had lots of, com- I think, conversations with folks in uh, in recent weeks, and I was really struck by the fear piece mm. that I think um, because if you remember early on in the Ukraine conflict, you know, Putin very smartly, I think, and I'm best, best, when I say smart, by the way, it doesn't mean I'll craft
1: to craftily.
0: In, recognize the enemy is yeah is cunning. You know, he very he very sort of uh, smartly dropped the kind of nuclear word mm into a couple of conversations, of course, and I think knowing full well the way uh media work. Yeah. And of course the next day the BBC and all the yeah. newspapers are headlines. I have headlines. I've lost track of how the articles I read in recent weeks about going, you know, how, what happens in nuclear war, yeah. how to survive a nuclear war, is hiding on the kitchen table work.
1: <laughs> Duck and cover.
0: And on, and on and on and on and on it goes. And the fear, and I, I think it is palpable. I've I've met people who are genuinely terrified. And a couple of things interest me. One is of course having just come out of pandemic. And look, I'm not adv- advocating conspiracy theories, not in the slightest. But it really, I think, opened my eyes to the fact that we now do live in this age of fear, mm-hmm. where the media are always after the next thing. And of course, you know, the BBC, the uh, you know state broadcaster here in the UK, yeah. you know, um, for 18 months of the pandemic, I think just ra- you know ran that daily death ticker. Yeah. It doesn't matter how many other causes of death there were in the country; they were pushing the COVID yeah. thing. Death by, COVID, death by COVID, death by COVID. But then, of course, re- you know, I think realising that was coming to the end, um, we had a brief reversion to type when, okay, then it was the environment. I mean, about three or four days here when like Greta Thunberg was again headline news where we're all going to be doomed, we're going to cry. And then suddenly, you know, Ukraine happens. And mm. now, you know, mm. again, daily stories of death and destruction. And this is World War Three? Yeah. And I wonder what's changed. I mean, growing up, I can remember, Aaron, being quite afraid of nuclear war. Mm. I can remember being eight or nine. Mm. And that was the Reagan years. Things were very, very tense until, mm. you know, Reagan and Thatcher and Gorbachev did all, a huge amount of work on mm. it, getting the, you know, the, the Western Russia to talk and get us into a sort of, it's sort of like safer times. Yeah. But I can remember before that happened, you know, lying awake at night thinking, well, I guess I'm going to be dead by next Tuesday. Yeah. Um, then everything, I think we moved out of that era and it's been a long time since things have been quite that bad. But something has shifted in the cultural psyche, mm. I think, in the last five to ten years. That fear's always been there. It's always sold in newspapers, mm. but it's got much worse. Yeah, I mean, being on social media is is again a bit like shooting fish in a barrel. Mm. But I do wonder whether that's part of it. I do also wonder that is part of that how was, that as a, as a sort of tide of the sea of faith, as it were, goes out in a secular society. Yeah. That actually there's a lot more space for those things. We don't have the frameworks for dealing mm. with this stuff. Because right, Christians have always we've always known the world is a dangerous place. In fact. Human beings have always known the world is a dangerous place. Okay, you know, it might be the nuclear bomb, uh, you know, like finish you off now if we hit World War III. Yeah. But if you lived in Viking times, you might wake up one morning and see the sails coming over the horizon and that's it. You know, you're out of there. Yeah. Or, yeah. or the Black Death or the Great Fires or <coughs> wars, syphilis. I mean, together, you know, all the various things that ravage society for mm. uh, mm. generations. Um, so we're not the first age to live through the idea that actually something might end it all for you tomorrow but we've lost the capacity to cope mm.
1: as a society. And we seem to have gone, quite frankly, gone mad. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't be the first to say that we've gone mad on on various things, but I think you're right to say that when <clears throat> um, we, we've gotten to a place where perhaps our decadence as a society is is now being challenged or tested and um, it's, a, it's a sort of similar situation to where when, whenever you have a culture of high prosperity – and peace, um, you know, the, the, it's going to bring all sorts of other um, issues with it that come with perpetual comfort or at least the perpetual pursuit of comfort. I don't think people do perpetually live comfortable lives always, but they, we do relatively in terms of when we talk about these life or death survival issues, like the West, the kind of whole mantra of the West is, West is sort of to live for pers- people individually to have their own expression, express themselves, do what they want, achieve all their goals and their dreams, not have any disadvantage put in their way, regardless of who they are, where they're from, um, and to have the most comfortable life possible, the pursuit of happiness in the American sort of, um, um, yeah, dream constitution. And and I think we've, yeah, come to a place where this has hit us in a way that, or hit many people in a way that, yeah, our our structures of thinking and our ways of interacting, the way that the media um, have formed us and shaped us, we're just not ready for this almost. It feels like, it's it brings a reality check to a lot of the sort of meanderings and and wanderings that look okay in, a, in maybe in a, a university essay or or on Twitter when it doesn't when there's no real skin in the game and suddenly it's just very very real. I mean I um, was you know thinking about um, uh, I went to, to, a, to a on a mission trip to Ukraine over a decade ago and still in contact with several of the people not over too often but we had a great time there doing um, work with um, um, children with them. Um, various disabilities and it was who were not well <coughs> well looked after to be honest in Ukrainian or, or Russian culture. Um, in terms of society they can be more outcasts. So it's very different to how disabled people are looked after in the West. Um and so the work was really important and the people were doing an amazing job and really living out their faith um so humbly. And I was just I just kind of sent a Facebook message to one of them to say, oh how's it going? And I in my head for some reason when the conflict started I thought um Okay, I just assume it's going to be one of those wars like we've seen from the West, where there's these tar- you know, the targeted bombing um, and it's going to be military. It's, it's almost like people often say there's no, civilians don't really feature in a modern war. I've often heard that say, oh, if, if there's a war today, it's not going to be fought in the same way we've had previously. So, this kind of shelling of like cities is not really what anyone expected, even within the first weeks so i, I facebook this person and just say just what how's you know how's it going assuming that the she would be there working with the churches helping people and doing things that they were doing previously and she just said like a really like, terse response like we are stuck in. i'm stuck in a cellar with my mum there's a high chance that we could die and you know please pray for us so it was really kind of hit home how the how difficult it is and and the the realities of war that we can talk about really easily in the abstract um and yeah when they when they come home it's a very different matter which again plays into this whole culture of fear but we fear about all sorts of th- we worry about all sorts of things anxious about all sorts of things and now we're hit with something that really really hits home doesn't it
0: yeah well it's interesting that um you're we chatting before we hit record about you know something uh, a writer i've admired for a long time i know hmm. you've uh you've dug around stuff a lot too of course c.s lewis known to um known to lots i guess of listeners to, to to follow the gaps one of his one of his lesser known essays i thought i'd read most of lewis's stuff but i i hadn't actually read this he's lewis wrote lewis wrote an essay uh in 1948 called on living in an atomic hmm. age and I, I alluded to it a moment ago and I talked about, you know, Vikings coming over the horizon and and, and syphilis and black mm. death. Lewis opens it with a with a paragraph saying, you know, people sort of ask, Well, how should we, you know, how should we process living in the age of the nuclear bomb? Mm. It's like, well, hang on a minute, there's all these other things. But then what's quite interesting, he he very cleverly then sort of builds off of that and says, Well, okay, the, the pushback might be somebody might say, Well, yeah, but if World War Three kicks off, it could be the end of civilization. Mm. And Lewis yeah. is like, well, you know, come on for a moment mm. to go, we've always known we've always known that if nature is all that there is, um, so this is, you know, he's addressing a secular readership, mm. his listenership here. This, if nature is all there is civilization is going to end. Mm. Um, either, you know, something will wipe us off the earth. There'll be some sort of, you know, little virus that really mm. caches in and goes big time, or there'll be the heat death of the universe. One day the sun will expand and swallow the earth. Everything comes to an end. Mm. And it's very clever. What he then says, he says, well, you've really only got three responses from a purely sector yeah. context there, you can either just commit suicide and go, well, I'm not going to let nature finish me off. I'm going to decide the time I game mm. Or you can just try and okay, Well, you know, this is the best it is. I'll have as much pleasure as possible. <laughs> he quite cheekily goes, but then remember as you're enjoying those pleasures, they're meaningless. So you may think that you're yeah. looking for love. or well, love is just a chemical reaction in your brain. Yeah, yeah. You may think that you're mm. listening and enjoying music. Actually, this is a random arrangement of mm. notes that you happen to Darwin selection has somehow made you yeah. think they're significant. Yeah. Or then, thirdly, he says you can try and sort of rage against the, uh, against nature, and say, so, "Well, I'm going to take a stand for justice. I'm going to take a stand for truth." He said, "Well, yeah, you can do that, but again, Fred, you're kidding yourself because your views about justice are, in fact, caused by the motion of atoms in your brain, and you think you're committed to truth. Well, actually, you don't believe things because they're true. Mm. You believe them again because a brain." chemistry so you're a bit stuck mm. and then of course as you can imagine there's a great quite nice little pivot to or oh, there's an alternative <laughs> going on here or the reason that actually we want to rail against these things is because we know there's more mm. going on mm. and i suppose i say that partly a to encourage people listening to this if you're dealing with friends and family who are nervous about whatever the latest crisis is yeah. i think lewis's essay is quite helpful mm. but also my concern is i get nervous when christians start getting absorbed into the fear thing. Mm. Um, you know, I I've really tried to cut my media usage back. I think so. I mean, the pandemic started this, but really since the Ukraine thing, I'm mm. now trying to teach myself to just check the news twice a day.
1: After, so, after your 5am lesson, lesson, when the Ukraine well, started yes. crisis. Well, started?
0: Word I came across, um, the other day, Aaron, I came across a neologism, which is of course yep. a, you know, a new word. Have you come across the word doom scrolling?
1: Doom scrolling.
0: Brilliant. I, I, I forget who coined it. Uh, if you google it it's been it's turned up quite a few days doom scrolling is you sit there and you just in an increasingly depressive state Hmm. scroll through the news on your phone Hmm. clicking on headline after headline getting more and more anxious and more and more depressed as you read story after doom scrolling (laughs) and uh, christians should not be people who doom scroll is
1: it particularly related to doom related news or is it any news is it is it like the worst
0: i think they were saying it was some the first i first saw it in a in a a journalist writing a piece saying i was sitting there late last night doom scrolling my way through the headlines from ukraine right, okay and i thought oh doom scrolling <laughs>
1: that's what um, i did yeah yeah,
0: yeah. and then but of course as christians we need we if we're not people who are living no. differently mm. in our media consumption and our mm. response to it you know um i'm currently working on an event on, on an evangelistic talk for a, a little mission i'm doing in an inverness and a few couple of weeks time and they've asked me to come and speak on it's a great topic they can be plagues pandemics and putin hmm. and um and the contrast i'm going to share some of the stuff we've, we've talked about even in the podcast but then i was sort of thinking praying about where do i land that in scripture yeah. and i love first peter chapter one you know because that Pete, first peter is probably ri- you know written under a time of persecution to Christians certainly who yeah were really experiencing mm. tough stuff mm. and peter talks about hope and there's this lovely phrase in in First Peter one, where it says, "But we have a, you know, we have a, a true and living hope," and he doesn't just say we have it because we feel it. He grounds it in the in the yeah. resurrection. Yeah. And grounds it. We have something concrete, yeah. and yeah, we know that what is crap, and yes, we know there are in this case bullies and Nero and tyrants and death and persecution. But the reason we have hope and we don't just give in to doom scrolling or fear or despair is because we have a living hope grounded in the resurrection. And I wonder about there's something there's a real huge need I think for Christians to be people who look different when it comes to hope mm. in the face of pandemics and stuff. And one of the reasons I got, you know, we covered this on the previous Pond Gaps, right? And I think you're probably the same. The reason I got so. Sometimes, de- de- actually, depressed about the way the church responded during the pandemic because we look like the world. Yeah. The Archbishop of Canterbury just came out and said exactly yeah. the same as the government. Mm. Oh yeah, social distance and wear a mask. It's like yeah. that. Those things may be true. I'm not disputing them. That's not in this context anyway. Mm. Um, but it's the point is,
1: where's the hope? Yeah. yeah. Well, in the- on the, on the back of that, then it's interesting because you know one of the things we were saying earlier was um, uh, media, f- how the media has formed us, and I, I agree with you. I don't think the average Christian is looking at the media any differently because part maybe because we use the platforms that like we do podcasts and um, we use platforms for getting the gospel out and for discussing stuff, talk about theology. Um, so we're immersed in the platforms and to some many, it's, it just, it's very hard to have for that two way traffic, not to affect us. And I was actually thinking in this whole culture of fear thing, one of the books we read, I think must've been over the Christmas holidays was, um, a number of months ago now, was uh, When the Wind Blows. Did you ever read that in your days of uh, Cold War, kid? And uh, in in Billy Joel. Uh, yeah, yeah, so so Raymond Briggs, amazing, amazing cartoon, but like a cartoon for adults kind of thing. So I was reading it to the children, but even though I didn't even think it would be a possible thing to think about, but it's all about the spectre of nuclear war and the propaganda of the state at the time in, in terms of trying to calm people down and trying to give them a hope. But it's not a real hope. It's just like duck and cover certain mechanisms. It's hilarious how how specific like specifications from uh, like government pamphlets contradict the ones from the local council pamphlets about what you're supposed to do if there was a nuclear attack. And during the actual story, there is a nuclear attack. And you see them trying to respond to it as the radiation gets worse and worse. And and nothing they can do will will ultimately help it. But they were so proud of the fact that they were following the pamphlets correctly, even if the pamphlets didn't actually cohere, and and if you followed one, you couldn't possibly follow the other one. Like take, I think you have to take your. I think the famous one was you had to unscrew the door. You, you unscrew your door and, and put it against the wall. That was going to be your shelter. So him and his wife put it against the uh, against the wall and go under. Then, but then it was like in another pamphlet it said, but you mustn't remove any doors because of fires. Because of course they need to be there. for fire. So you somehow have to find a door that isn't a real door, but make it door. But anyway, but it's just fascinating how it showed even then. And I don't think that's changed about us, that we have a propensity not only to, towards doom-scrolling and, and drama and, and fear-mongering, um, but also uh, towards believing what we're told um, because it's kind of out there in the ether, believing the crowd think. And so there's even a danger um, that how we respond to the Ukraine and Russia crisis is going to also follow the crowd. And, and so there's ways we really must remain faithfully Christian, um, and with that distinctness, even when everyone else is saying the same kind of things. Now of course sometimes you will say the same things everyone's saying. I doubt anyone's gonna come around and go, Oh, but we must you know support Russia in the war or something like this. Um I don't think you're gonna to get too many well, takes well,
0: I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna clip that little thing <laughs> you just said there out from the sound that is and I'll release that. <laughs> onto the internet again Aaron Edwards said
1: that's what they do that's, that's what theory. they do on YouTube they put like capital letters like around the quote don't they like and support Edward says support Russia in war and that, that clip will be the, the link into the show yeah you have to find some yeah, other right. material to fill it out um, pictures of me in, in a Russian uniform or something
0: yes that's yes, right um, no I don't I don't, I don't, I don't disagree at all. One of the other things as well, actually, just as because as we've, uh, we've talked about fear in the media and you just brought it back there to Russia and hmm. Ukraine. One thing that's fascinated me in the last few days, actually, is, is doing a bit of reading and sort of, sort of listening to others who sort of I, I, I dug, dug far more deeply into this than I've had the time to do. And I, I don't think I'd actually fully appreciate it. As someone who likes to think they're historically fairly grounded and got good historical consciousness hmm. and often berates the West for being incredibly shallow when it comes to to history, I mean, our political class—I don't think many of them know history, a bit them on the nose. Um, mm. But actually, is really realizing, of course, how much I think what's going on right now with Ukraine has its roots way, way back. Mm. Um, I mean, I can't believe back like as far as the First World War or further, because of course, you know, after one, one of the things, among many things that happened after the First World War, you know, you've then mm. got some of the fracturing of, of, the, of the lines of the map in Eastern Europe around there, yeah. and also the Ottoman Empire comes to an end. Then, of course. Um, as many folks already know, when, when World War One ended, Western powers, you know, really punished Germany really quite hard. Yeah. You can debate whether it was too hard. But, of course, what that did is that sowed the foundation for then Hitler to rise up and say, look how we've been treated, look how we've been humiliated. And he got to power on the back of that. Yeah. Then, of course, off the back of World War II, you know, it was, I mean, this uneasy relationship between us and, uh, us and Russia. You know, they've got good old yeah. Uncle Joe Starling, yeah. who was, of course, you know, not initially. Initially, I mean, it looked like he was going to go to the German side, mm. but, of course, that all fell mm. apart. You know, then becomes a very uneasy Western ally. And then we never really figured that relationship out of the end. Yeah. Of course, that then crashes into the into the Cold War. Yeah. And then coming to the end of the Cold War period, you know, when we, on, you know, I think many eyes of many Western sort of thinkers, great. We beat the old enemy. We beat Russia. We won the cold war. And then we can just, again, same mistake we made with Germany, humiliate the old enemy, not really realize some of the bigger strategic pieces. And then suddenly, of course, you know, that's allowed, you know, over the last few years, Putin to really come come to rise to power on that and play the same. We've been humiliated game, you know, look at the way that NATO is behaving, you know, the West really just want nothing more than trample on us. And, you know, on the um, basically the way we behave once again has given fuel to to, to nationalism, mm-hmm. and then we see Putin. Now that's a I, that's a huge uh, oversimplification. I've summarised you know a hundred years of history in ninety.
1: We don't simplify on part of the gaps, do we? We
0: don't simplify, but is the fact that I find I, I get increasingly worried. I suppose here in the West that we don't have those those deep historical roots. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't agree with the way he's behaving, but Putin is trying to to appeal to history and tradition mm-hmm. and the kind of deep roots mm-hmm. of the Russian people. And you know, here in the West, I think we've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten our history. We've forgotten that nation states really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you sort of wonder why our leaders then fail to really be able to engage mm-hmm. properly. Mm-hmm. And of course the flip side of that is heaven forbid if this did get any bigger and Europe get drawn into this in a bigger way, I think today we're such a shallow rooted culture. If, you know, the government, heaven forbid, got to a stage wherever we had to, you know, appeal to say something like conscription Mm. for our military, like we did in World War II, I wonder to what extent the average Brit. And I include myself. I'm not pointing the finger. Okay. I'm old enough that I probably wouldn't get hoovered up in that, but if I were a little bit younger, um mm-hmm. you know how many of us would go yeah mm-hmm. okay this is the part of the nation uh therefore i need to fight or how many of us would go yeah you know quite frankly yeah. um <clears throat> i don't really care who our leaders are as long as i've got twitter and netflix
1: yeah 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 i think you're right there's there's so many things there that, uh, you know there was that famous video i don't know if we mentioned this before we might have done somewhere but the youtube uh, juxtaposition of two oh, yeah. two recruitment videos i think people have been discussing this even more in light of what's happened, but it's been going making the rounds for a couple of years now where it showed the American uh, military recruitment video of, of a, a, a uh, yeah, a woman talking about how, how inspired she was to join the army because of her trans parents. Um, was it, no, it was just her lesbian parents. That was it.
0: Lesbian parents. And yeah. Parents.
1: And um, I don't know if she was trans. No, she wasn't trans, but anyway, it was, it was clearly a very wokeified, um, yeah, way of um, trying to I- encourage someone to sign up to, join the army it was kind of like i've been fighting for for this kind of freedom but it puts it in this sort of context of i'm fighting for the civil rights freedom of the kind of newer woke age we're not talking about kind of you know first wave of civil rights movements in the 60s talking about beyond that um and that's going to be the key motivation that's what they decided was the way to get people to sign up for military action you just think i just don't think that's going to be the same draw as especially for men and you do need men to fight wars sorry um and Russia, the Russian recruitment video was just terrifying in response. It, it was just like, it was just it, like a machine robot. It, it reminded me of um, uh, Ivan Drago on Rocky Four. You know, the kind of, like, when <laughs> they show Rocky in the mountains, but then they have, that was quite good, but they showed, like, him in, like, this machine. Like, he's got all these straps to him. He's, like, he's getting pumped with, like, stuff. He's just, like, looking like a machine robotic kind of guy. So I think it was, I remember looking at that just thinking, wow, it's kind of, if there was a war. But I used to say that. I, I said that to a few people, like, well, this does look kind of terrifying, doesn't it? But they said, oh, it won't happen like that in a real war nowadays. It'll all be done by drones and, and you know, targeted stuff. But clearly we've seen it isn't. It It is come to okay. combat um, a little bit more old school kind of combat in the Russia Ukraine thing. So yes. there is a problem, as you say, of the of the what is going on in our own approach to nations and our own approach to patriotism. We did a whole podcast episode on this, didn't we? Is is it possible to be a a, a nationalist, or is, it, is is patriotism possible? And in America, for in the US, for example. There's um, huge debates about Christian nationalism, and, and they identify the religious right with this uh, desire to make America Christian again, not just great again, but to make it Christian again. And what does that even mean? So there's obviously problems with forms of nationalism, and Putin's a, a perfect example of that. But you clearly, as, exactly as you say, Andy, he has a way of being able to galvanise people to care about their homeland and, and about the things that they hold dear. We've spent a long time talking about what we call multiculturalism, which is basically a myth just to assume that you can have different cultures in a melting pot all together and say, this is a wonderful thing. Now it is a wonderful thing to appreciate different cultures and to have, and to be respectful of them. Multiculturalism is slightly different. It just assumes that you can put them all together and they won't, yeah, and they'll just join together like a kind of Transformer or Power Ranger or something, if any of you get those references. I gave two in case you didn't get one or the other. But, but it doesn't really...
0: Yeah, I love the idea that, you know, I often wonder what theologians do with now. <laughs> now I know you're playing with kids' toys in the hope that you'll land on a... What else
1: are we supposed to, to do? I mean, you know, there's nothing else to work out. We've got the Trinity. We're fine. Um, so we've got to, you know, That's work out no, I, think, um,
0: yeah. I, no, I think. I think there's a lot... There's a lot in there, particularly the multicultural piece, and I think we're due an episode on multiculturalism at some Mm. point. That will just really be an interesting one to explore, not least because, of course, in Scripture, you have that wonderful vision and revelation of people from every tribe and every Mm. tongue, you know, united together in the new heavens and new earth. But, of course, they're not there in their own diverse little bubble. just Mm. going, well, you do your thing, you do your your, thing. They're united Mm. because they're Christ's people. And when the church works properly, that's what it does, it brings us together yeah. and we have that uniting glue. Mm. The glue is not, oh, there's an interesting different cuisine mm. and there's an interesting different No, the glue is that we're united because we're all in Christ. Yeah. And then then actually that gives you that basis to celebrate someone mm. else's differences and not feel threatened. Yeah. Because that's not your identity. Yeah. Where multiculturalism yeah. fails, I mean, spectacularly is when you try and throw together people for and, and at the same time encourage them their culture is their identity mm. but then assume they'll mm. still melt together and melt. Yeah, together. Yeah. Those are two and
1: and you can't possibly appreciate a culture that's your own for example if if you're happy for it to be destroyed. And so this is where you can you can see why Putin or any any nationalist leader including Hitler or others would
0: i live in scotland Sturgeon.
1: exactly yeah but they can put.
0: we've just put in and hit and
1: perfect well i remember it though no, so I, I remember when i was in scotland and and the and the vote for uh leave was was up and it was all the, it was all the tapping into what does it really mean to be scottish and to care about it and then painting it literally as though edward longshanks is still roaming and yeah. and going to kind of, you know, get rid of it.
0: Oh, we definitely have blood and soil nationalism <laughs> here. The SNP, have, uh, 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 extremely nationalistic party mm. here who run the country. Mm. It's not Scotland right now. Mm. Um, yeah, I think there's this deep seated contradictions on one hand. They want to try and appear to be cuddly and friendly and inclusive, but it's it's it, it, basically mm. it's lipstick on a pig. It is, mm. it is blood and soil nationalism. It's exactly the same philosophy that at the other end does lead you mm. to someone like,
1: yeah, but, but 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 the point I almost want to make is that there there is this there's a clearly a kernel of um, truth to to say that people are going to care about their culture. Now it can be fear mongered into a way that might make people fearful and maybe even derisive of immigrants or whatever. But the reason why people that that kind of thinking does um, gets exacerbated is because people love their culture and they don't want to see it just taken away by by something or someone, or if they don't feel it's protected. And so that's a kind of human nature element. And it, it doesn't have to be seen as outright negative, but we've been constantly telling everyone in the West, don't love your culture. Don't love where you've come from. Don't love your heritage. Only crazy people do that. You don't want to end up like, like Hitler or something like that. And so therefore it's okay to just not care about any of your, any of that, give it all up and it doesn't really matter. Now as Christians, it's difficult because clearly we don't, identify first with our culture. And so it isn't appropriate to care more about your national heritage than it is your Christian identity. And that's where Christian nationalism ideas get uh, into hot water, I think, where it becomes idolatry. But at the same time, I think we do need to say, yeah, God does love, the fact that God loves cultures coming together, it's because they're not coming into a melting pot and ceasing to be themselves and everyone becoming monotone or monochrome. It's actually that we're appreciating difference. So so all the stuff we talk about in the West, the woke the, in, in within woke circles even, about appreciating difference and diversity. Um, we need to do that properly. We do it in a way that actually says, yes, and let's keep and diversity is a good thing. So we can appreciate um our own, what we what we bring to the table as well as what others do. That's what G.K. Chesterton in his essay, which I think I referenced, Back when we did that episode on patriotism is talking about when he when he says actually you need to be able to appreciate your own culture in order to appreciate others. And that's kind of why wars happen. Lots of these wars happen like that because of fear of border control. I need to I need a buffer zone, I need this extra land, or I'm worried that you're going to attack me, so I'm going to attack you first, and it's preemptive. So many of our um conflicts are around that exact issue of the protection of uh, land or heritage.
0: Hmm. Well, I'm conscious that um, that time is against us. I guess one last one last thing I think would be interesting to think about just for a, for a couple of minutes before we before we wind this up. We've talked about that, the need for Christians to live differently. But I suppose the last question is that I've I've thought a bit about in in the last three weeks, mm-hmm. Aaron. Is how do we pray into all this? Mm-hmm. Because it, it seems to me that actually, you know, <laughs> there's a number of things we can do. One is we just go, I don't know, and don't pray about it and just try ignore it, mm-hmm. um, which I'm not sure is helpful. I've had, even I've come across people literally telling God what to do. <laughs> to <It's clears throat> <a primitive, throat> Pray that the Lord would inspire an assassin to go and <throat> take Putin out. And I thought, well, oh, yeah, sort of 10 out of 10 for, you know, so sort of perhaps, you know, if you work with it for the SAS, <laughs> but I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's the way to be praying entirely. But then on the other hand, we also do have plenty of material in the Psalms where there are prayers that God would bring judgment yeah. and bring evil uh, to an end. So I'm, I'm going to be cheeky here because you're the theologian yeah. and going so. And it'll be the place to the ending on, really, because the because obviously, unless we're unless we're politicians or journalists or in the military, we can't we can't get involved directly. We can't change how the media portray this, and we can't get involved in the political scene. But as Christians, we all pray. Yeah. So, how should we pray?
1: Yeah, good. It's a, <laughs> it's a good one uh, to land me in. Um, I, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, it gets us a little bit. We we don't we don't have to go in whole hog with this, but it gets us into the just war pacifism debates doesn't it and, and those are, are well yeah. um twar- tried throughout the theological history what one thing i've noticed and i, and I don't think i've been in a prayer in a, a, a christian service or prayer context where the russia ukraine thing hasn't come up which is fine and appropriate the we should pray um but I've, I've been intri- intrigued by obviously the the widespread support for ukraine and the prayers i've heard I don't think I've heard people pray before which I found interesting about Ukraine winning Um, and and you think what does it mean for you to pray for a country to win that means you want them to kill more of the other guys Um, and so there's a a sense of a just war um, sort of yeah uh, motif coming through even without people having kind of thought it through very much so it might be that's absolutely appropriate I, I, I do believe in just war I just think that it's Interesting that it doesn't really gel with lots of the stuff we've been saying in the church for many years, where we've been very pacifist in how we've approached loads of issues and avoided conflict and all sorts of other things. But when we've decided we really don't like Russia, um, then it's fine for God for to pray for God to aid people to kill them more. Okay, then that you just need to think that through. I think if you're willing to pray that, it's fine to pray. I mean, I say fine to pray. It's it's a perfectly normal Christian thing to do that because there's so many elements in Scripture where that happens. God kills lots of people and sends people to kill people. I think of Jehu in, uh, in, in uh, 1 Kings, who, who's you know, raised up as an avenger. There's many examples of this. Um, and our theology just needs to match up with our prayers. And that's often uh, a key thing that we don't do. We often pray uh, what we would like and pray on the basis of what we've heard and what we know we should say, because it, it's it's the done thing to say it. And I think maybe it'd be more helpful to pray scripturally um, and so thinking of things like the imprecatory Psalms um, is not inappropriate in this context. I know it's really hard for people to get their head around, but only because we've been so used to a, a diet of such um, yeah, such airbrushed Christianity that we've just taken large swathes of Scripture and just said, oh, I don't know what to do with that. Leave it on the shelf. It was for the old covenant. It was for when God cared about that kind of stuff a bit more. Now it doesn't matter. Thankfully, we're in the age of grace and uh, nothing really. we don't have to be worried about anything. We don't have to judge anything. Um God doesn't really care about anything anymore because it's all been done it's almost like the the atonement and the resurrection meant that God just didn't care he just he just became apathetic um other than giving us the job of you know going and loving the poor and 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 uh, evangelizing it's almost like those issues that of wrath and justice just completely um move away and so I think that's a problem um e- equally I think people have to make their decisions of would they if they're willing to pray for um a just war situation. What, what if they were in that situation themselves? Would they be willing to um, to kill another person if they believed it was for a righteous cause? Uh, that's something to kind of think through. And there's obviously the- theologians like Augustine who've who've thought through what does it mean to go to war well? What does it mean to conduct yourself before, during, and after? Uh, he was one of the first proponents of just war theory that that people use even in a secular context. So Those kind of things are interesting. But then one thing that's always worried me, I don't know if you've ever seen this, Andy. Have you ever seen pictures of the Eastern Orthodox Church where you have like a kind of leader blessing uh, a missile? Have you seen those? It's kind of, you can see, you can Google image them. Blessing a tank or or a nuclear missile. And you think, wow, I guess that's like uh, a, yeah, an outworking of your theology of just war. Because it's kind of saying, well, if you really believe this, you probably would want this to, to this missile to hit its target um but it's a tricky one to really inst- it really becomes instrumentalized and a bit troubling uh, when you see those kind of images but i don't know if that's because we're inconsistent or because um eastern orthodoxy has a more of a, a, a yeah a different take on how it um and deals with that with, with other sorts of um yeah things like, like embodiment and things like this and the way they treat relics and the way they treat things is very different to how many evangelicals do we sort of live in a more spiritual Mode, so we just don't worry about that stuff and we're very cut off from any state concerns but these are the the moments where we think oh what do i really believe how would i pray for the emperor which emperor do i pray for um because that's what paul calls us to do so um yeah praying for ukraine obviously the main thing um mean, i'd say that's all the just war stuff the other stuff on the other side of course there's the standard things we we know how to pray which is to pray the church would be bright and pray that the church would um, be able to be a, a blessing to those around them. Pray, pray that people wouldn't just be hiding in fear, but they would be able to somehow in the very midst of the suffering that they're going through, show the hope of the resurrection, show the gospel in their lives. So they're not just going through the motions of that uh, everyone else is of fear, but they're kind of showing that they can transcend fear, which is more easily said than, uh, than done. Yeah. That's
0: that's, um, that's that's helpful I think, Aaron. I think that's a good place to, to really bring it to a close. So um, as we were talking beforehand, before we pressed record, I think we said there's a lot of issues that spin off this that we haven't had a t- chance to dig into in the last 45 minutes. So I suspect we may do a follow up episode. I mean, I'm very intrigued about the way that, you know, you you, you touched on it lightly, the way that war touches in some of the gender mm. issues. Look at the way that, you know, mm. Ukraine has been uh, very clear. If you're a man between the age of 15 and 60, you ain't leaving the country. You only need to, uh, to defend yeah and uh, there hasn't been a raft of people self-declaring as uh, mm. women in order to mm. escape that. Mm. Um, the fact that um, that I think that it's interesting that I think some of the more wokey kind of issues have got now eclipsed by this. I do, whether that will change for good, mm. but it's funny when, you know, with war it really focuses, uh, the focus the mind. And I think also say has really exposed how as, as Christians, I think we need to once again think about our media consumption and the way we, we respond to things all of that we can talk about in other episodes mm. so uh, again as ever thank you for listening uh to uh the pod of the gaps this is as we always remind people this is a listener supported uh podcast so uh there's a link in the show notes if you'd like to support us and get behind uh what we do just for a small amount of money every month pound or two a couple of dollars a month makes a huge difference helps pay the bills uh we may eventually raise enough money to buy a set of beard trimmers
1: and- I-, I thought you were going to say buy a set of missiles or something that we could bless and <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, if we, I guess, if you bought the beard trimmer and you had an Eastern Orthodox friend, they could pray for the beard trimmer. That's true, my beard
1: is more Eastern Orthodox. That's true, that could help us with this.
0: You are looking a bit more Orthodox, whereas me, you don't want to see me with a beard, it really does look quite fluffy. Um, on that bombshell, so it's goodbye from me and goodbye from uh, Aaron, and uh, we will see you again next time. Thanks for listening.